The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. G'day, and <laughs> don't you love it? It's Friday. I always feel terrific on a Friday, especially a Friday where I intend to go away, not for a whole week. I'm, I would miss you all too much. I'm going to come back next Friday and celebrate Australia Day with each and every one of you. I'll try and wear, I'll try and wear something very, as I just uh, said, the Gemma of Australia, STR. AYA Australia like, and um, I'll try my best to do that. So I may, I may not have a tie or a shirt on. I'll have something very Australian on if I can manage that. Uh, we'll be talking to some very Aussie people today, including uh, one, Mr. David McBride. Now he'll be facing sentencing very soon. He's had a lot to say on a lot of issues, but especially to uh, defence minister, um, asking him if he was stitched up. And I think he might've been, there was a bit of a hit piece done on him that uh, was very timely. Uh, in September of last year, and uh, David has been very vocal with that, and I wouldn't uh, certainly don't blame him for being so. We'll be talking to him and also Dr. Wilson Sai, who questions whether we had a pandemic at all. I would tend to agree with him wholeheartedly, uh, and suggesting that the whole thing, when it comes to the UK, was because of a particular drug that was used for people who were apparently victims of this COVID. Um, but uh, wow, the numbers support everything that he says. They correlate very well. There is a very uh, high degree that uh, of probability that he is correct. And we'll be chatting with him uh, a little bit later this hour. Lots going on. Now, well, I will say condolences to the family. I've got to say condolences to the family before I start. But there's a guy named Mike Dixon. He writes uh, sports, uh, particularly tennis for the Daily Mail over there in the UK. Somebody who wrote an article, and I remember the article at the time, uh, and it read, Djokovic tested positive. Uh, why was he out the next day? So obviously somebody who read into the COVID narrative, somebody who very much believed all that was being spun and continued in his role in the media to go and perpetuate the, the I would say the lies, I think they were all lies that were going around. I wouldn't say that he was lying. I would say he believed what he was saying. Unfortunately, he believed it to the point where he was uh, decided to get vaccinated. Now, I'm not suggesting that had anything to do with that which I'm about to tell you. I'm not suggesting that at all. I will leave that up to you to decide for yourself. Um, but unfortunately, whilst he was at the Australian Open, at doing his job as a journalist, Mike Dixon passed away. In fact, he, uh, quote, died suddenly, unquote, while he was there. Uh, nobody expected him to pass away, and uh, he was just doing his job. And uh, ironically, and you can't make this stuff up, there he was at the Australian Open watching Novak Djokovic play his way to what well could be another win, the same guy that he advocated shouldn't be there because he tested positive. Why was he out the next day? Why isn't he doing what all the rest of us are doing? Well, the reason to that, and I will answer him posthumously, Mike Dixon, is because he actually thought for himself. He actually considered that this thing, this untested, this mRNA technology may not be safe. It was only under emergency use authorization. And why the hell would you do it? Because the thing you were hiding from this COVID, fluvid, as I would like to call it, was never really scary at all, unless you're somebody who was already going to die. And I would still suggest that they died because they were dying anyway, typically those with three or more comorbidities, or of course, those who were older, older than the average life expectancy in each of their respective countries. 
You can't make this stuff up. How did anybody fall for that? I have no idea, but that's exactly what happened. Some good news, however, uh, on a different topic, the widow of Australian Defence Force veteran. Uh, now, you may be aware of this character. Uh, he was he passed away, his widow and young child, who I believe is only about five years of age, her name, uh, now his name was Drew Chilcott, uh, an able seaman in the Australian Defence Force. He died in a motorbike crash in October of 2022, leaving behind uh, his widow and a small child. They, they're married by all uh, accounts and she's an American citizen. But there they were, they were eager. They couldn't get her out of the country. His wife and kid here in Australia couldn't get them out quick enough, were eager to deport them to uh, America, they're American citizens. They want to stay here. They think that the, uh, you know, she believes her child will have a better life growing up here than over in the un-United States. And uh, I would suggest that that is a very good assessment and a very good way to move forward. Now, the good news is that they have backed down from that. There has been a massive outcry on social media and uh, people are just absolutely fighting for these people. And here they are bringing in millions of people from places with cultures that will probably clash very much so with our own. But here is the widow of an able seaman and his child. And God, God forbid, how could that man have ever have rested knowing that his own child and wife were going to be kicked out of the country after serving this particular country? I can't believe it ever came to that ever in my life. Vivek Ramaswamy, I'm going to talk about him. Okay, I was talking yesterday and his name was brought up. And it was suggested he could well be the front runner or the next uh, United States president. And I didn't disagree with that. He is being positioned to be that guy, very much like Barack Obama. The difference is he's a conservative. Well, he says everything us conservatives would like him to say. In fact, he said many things, many of them literally word for word. I mean, you could overlap them word for word like Barack Obama. Just like Barack Obama, do you ever remember hearing about this fella, Vivek Ramaswamy? Do you remember hearing about him a few years ago? Just like Barack Obama came out of nowhere. This guy, he's almost a billionaire, certainly by Australian standards. He is about 960 million US dollars worth of money. And how did he make that money? In the big pharma industry. Yep. And by all accounts, and I was doing a lot of listening last night to TikTok videos and YouTube videos, and I'm going to compile a bunch of data on him the week after next. I'm going to try and verify a lot of it because there are stories all in the right direction, in the same direction, but kind of differing on the details. One of them suggesting, not me, and this is uh, unverified at this point, but a video that I watched, that he made the money. He bought a, a drug that had undergone trials. It wasn't doing too well. The drug, had it been successful, would have been worth billions to whoever had it, was able to get his hands on it for uh, $5 million or so because it hadn't done too well in the trials and also suggested that his mother was somebody who was able to participate in those trials uh, and, and give a different taint on those, thus pushing up the value of that particular drug, that company going up in value, and then that company going and falling off a cliff. Uh, yeah, a public company, obviously. But again, that's just one of the stories that I heard yesterday. We will verify that. But of course, if you go into TikTok or YouTube, you'll see all these videos of people questioning him. But yeah, he did make his money through Big Pharma. He's in with a lot of those characters that you may not trust. And I'll, I'll get you to ask yourself this question. There he is saying all of the same stuff that Donald Trump says, pretty much all of it. It's like he copies him, right? 
But why does the mainstream media hate Donald Trump? But they love this guy. Answer that. And I think we'll be halfway to figuring out whether we can trust Vivek Ramaswamy or is he another one of these puppets? Uh, and this one, even though I would suggest there are some less obvious ones already in play, this one I'm thinking quite obvious and uh, I think I would, as an American, probably give him a miss, especially when you've got terrific people like Rand Paul there. Why would you even be looking at these characters? And there's the media, both sides, pushing him, pushing him, pushing him. Trump's the bad guy. Why not go for Vivek? He's dropped out of the running. He's going to uh, support and uh, Donald Trump. And it's a very clever move, very clever move. There's no way, even if he is successful, that Donald Trump will do another term next year because of his age. Well, I, don't, I doubt that. And the simple point being Vivek very well positioned to take over. Anyway, your thoughts on that, we'd love to hear them. Now, don't miss out on a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can easily listen to us live anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download, keeping you up to speed right here at today's News Talk TNT. It's the stuff. It's that division. People are talking about. And that cluelessness that they want to push. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I work with some terrific people, and one of the best is Gemma Cooper. G'day, Gemma. Hello there, Dean. It's so interesting to hear you talk about, uh, his name's Vivek, isn't it? That's how you pronounce it. Um, because in this country, we've got the Archbishop of Canterbury, and of all these leaders, these people in charge of all these thought control institutions, and the Archbishop of Canterbury is a former oil executive. You know, he worked in the oil industry. Um, so I don't know quite when he had his road to Damascus moment, um, but he's also a massive advocate of Big Pharma. The Archbishop of Canterbury here in this country has gone on the record and said how he's been on antidepressants for 14 years. And aren't they wonderful? And you kind of think, well, if the love of God can't even cure the Archbishop of Canterbury of depression and he's advocating for Big Pharma and he's a former oil executive, I think he possibly is in the wrong job. But it's these links that all of these people in power have got to these huge global conglomerates that have absolute control of our life. And we'll be hearing from your next guest, uh, well, one of your guests in the next hour about, you know, the drugs that were used during the scandemic um, and how it's just one massive big club of which we are not members. Um, and also very interesting, because I do remember when Barack Obama was launched onto the world stage, all those years ago. I remember when I still used to buy the mainstream papers when I was in my old life. And uh, I got a copy of one of the Sunday papers and the magazine fell out. And on the front cover was a, a big, big picture of Barack Obama's face. And the headline, is this the new president of the United States? And I thought, who the hell is that guy? You know, and it is so well <laughs> yeah. orchestrated, isn't it? It just comes out of nowhere and it's thrust upon us. And because we're so well trained to believe what we're told, we go, oh, OK, then that sounds good enough to me. And it was right after that um, series 24 with Kiefer Sutherland. Do you remember the first ever 24 when it came yeah. out, when he was like, he had 24 hours to save the world or whatever it was. Um, but it was where we first saw on television the notion of a black president. Um, and it was on a television series. So we were already being predictively programmed to accept this new kind of role of, of the first ever black president. It was so sophisticated and so well done. And if we, it just went into the collective consciousness. And lo and behold, Barack Obama got elected. Yeah, media, politics, Hollywood, they're all working together. Just very quickly, just going slightly off topic, you did mention depression and the Archbishop of Canterbury. And I was uh, came across an interesting couple of things on TikTok last night. Uh, suggesting that the overuse of antibiotics in people and things like ibuprofen or whatever, and there were some numbers. Statistically, you were more likely, I think up to 45%, more likely to get into a state of depression if you were have used to have used antibiotics uh, two or three times in a year. Just some interesting stuff. And the reason my ears pricked up or, you know, I 
kind of the hairs on the back of my neck stood up when I read that. I've got a, a relative who really overdid it due to an ankle in, in, um, injury on ibuprofen and uh, other, you know, like tablets that you could take legally at the time and uh, now suffers from depression. And I remember after immediately putting two and two together that I spoke to somebody else and who has got severe depression. And I asked them if they'd been on painkillers recently. They said, oh, I have been. I've been probably taking too many for the last few years, but was never depressed up until that point. So I just thought I'd, I'd throw that in there and just get people, if they are taking a little bit too much ibuprofen, if they uh, like the antibiotics a little bit too much, maybe just look into that. I'm not saying I'm no doctor, but I do like to uh, notice anomalies. And when the pieces fit the puzzle, uh, why not? And because I, I did that to myself, something uh, with my legs, and um, I was able to fix my legs because uh, by fasting. So there you go. Just put, putting two and two together. Gemma, um, your news story, please. Well, I can't help but comment on that. Um, I don't know if this is happening in Australia, but in the UK, there's huge amounts of headlines uh, and programs and, and, and all sorts of stuff about gut health and gut flora and the link between your, the health of your gut and your mental health as well. And, and the, the, the more gut flora you've got, the more different kind of foods you eat, the, the healthier your intestines, um, the, the healthier your mental health. There is an established uh, medical link if you, if you, if you know, even the mainstream doctors. And of course, what do antibiotics and painkillers do? Antibiotics, especially, they strip your gut flora out of your body, which is why doctors used to recommend a course of probiotics or live yogurt when you had antibiotics. They don't do that anymore as much. Um, but that makes total sense. And of painkillers as well. If you take too many of those, your intestines, for want of a better word, get um, a little bit backed up, shall we say. Um, and of course, then you your gut flora is killed off. So that, that does make total sense. Again, I'm not qualified for uh, medically, but that that makes sense with what we're hearing about gut health and gut flora here in the UK. As, as I say, I don't know if you're getting those headlines and that information out in Australia yet, but it is a, it's definitely doing the rounds here. So yeah, you're onto something there, Dean. I think. Yeah, no, it definitely uh, did all time with the gut. And just something you know for those people who don't yet have depression, if you are overdoing some of these things, having products that will affect your gut health. Uh, just really be aware of it because once that, you know, the black dog, as they call it here in Australia, once you get that depression, uh, it's seemingly almost impossible for many people to get rid of. But at the end of the day, it does seem to be body chemistry, uh, a lack of mental uh, energy that comes about. That seems to be the the reason behind it. Obviously, people, we all have dramas. It's how we deal with those dramas and a lack of ability to deal with them as a result of maybe some of this uh, stuff we're doing to ourselves chemically. And uh, just something I think we should look out for and maybe consult an expert. And I don't mean your local doctor. I mean, get on there and have a look around the internet. There will be plenty of experts who do know what they're talking about. But uh, yeah, it does tie in very well with the people I know who are depressed and what they were doing leading up to that, it tends to tie in nine times out of 10. Yeah, and I would advocate people go to the World Council for Health website, actually. That's a very good place to start, World Council for Health. They've got doctors and experts in countries from all over the world who talk about exactly this kind of thing. So we'll just get on to the story very quickly. It's a Friday. We seem to have become sidetracked a little bit. Um, and I wish I was bringing better news for a, a Friday. We try and end the week on a positive note, don't we, Dean? But it's yeah. been announced today that uh, their government has ordered a, an inquiry into a second post office IT scandal. Can you believe wow. it? A second one. Um, after that. I know, right? I mean, after what the, what has been revealed with the Horizon software uh, developed by Fujitsu, which which was came out in the 1999 and caused all of those sub postmasters and mistresses to go to prison, being accused of false accounting and theft, uh, more people have come forward now as a result of that television drama and the investigation and said that they were using software called Capture, that's a, an ironic word, uh, before Horizon, um, which there were also anomalies with, and also people had gone to prison 
with this capture software, not designed by Fujitsu. We're not sure who designed the capture software. Uh, but one 67-year-old, uh, he said in the 1990s, he was accused of false accounting and theft while using the capture software. And he was told to plead guilty. I thought it's the only because it was a first offense and it wasn't even an offense. Um, you know, if you plead guilty, you won't go to prison. You'll get a suspended sentence. So he was accused of this. He had to plead guilty to avoid going to jail. Um, and there were others coming forward now. So the government has said, okay, a second inquiry is looking likely. The Department for Business has ordered the post office to investigate these new claims as soon as possible. Um, and newspapers come forward after people approach them after seeing this scandal unfold. But, do you know, isn't it awful? It was already happening. And the fact that this software was called Capture, it's just awful. And we have heard from the post office boss this uh, this week um, who's, who has admitted that the horizon money that went missing, quote unquote, from these postmasters accounts may well have gone into chief executives bonuses and pay. And I wonder if this is the same with the capture software. They took the money, they gave it to the, the bosses, they gave it to all the people in the big club that we're not in. But if it's a second scandal, which it looks like it is, I mean, look, look at the system coming crashing down. I think trust in public services and private companies will never be the same again in the UK. Yeah, and Gemma, we're learning over the last few years when the government gets it wrong, they don't apologise. What they do is double down and make the whole thing worse. And that seems to be what they're doing here. They're not learning any lessons, unfortunately. And uh, let's hope that these things both resolve themselves uh, to a just level. We can only hope that is the case. Gemma, enjoy your weekend. Of course, you will be back next hour with uh, Sonia Poulton. Um, I'm off for until next Friday. So uh, enjoy yourself uh, and I'll talk to you next Friday, Gem. Talk to you next Friday on Australia Day. Australia, mate. We'll talk to her a little bit later in the program. We're going to be talking to Dr. Wilson Sai coming up right after this here at TNT. TNT's Misty Winston. She says, how is anyone still talking about October 7th? What Israel has done since October 7th is many times worse than what happened on that day by any conceivable metric. The only way to feel otherwise is to believe Israeli lives are worth many times more than Palestinian lives. How is Israeli suffering still being centered over vastly less significant acts of violence three months ago while ex exponentially worse violence and suffering is being inflicted by Israelis right this very moment? If your nation is attacked and you respond to that attack by immediately murdering thousands of children with incredible savagery, then you forfeit any right to expect anyone to give a shit that your nation was attacked. Israel responded to the Hamas attack by doing something much, much worse than anything Hamas has ever done, and in doing so, completely delegitimizing itself as a state and completely validating everything the Palestinian resistance has been saying about the state of Israel since day one. Misty Winston on today's News Talk TNT. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14, and I watched her struggle. But MDA helped her get the best treatments and care. And they also help kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. From day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. MDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. 
Join us and learn more at mda.org today. If you're still wearing a cloth or a surgical mask around in public, you're guilty of spreading COVID misinformation. It really is that simple. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to the program. We're going to be talking to Dr. Wilson Size, the principal of investment analyst, uh, sorry, analytics research. He has held senior university positions at ANU, UTS, and the University of Unis, uh, I'll start out again, University of New South Wales in physics, math, uh, finance, and economics for about 15 years. He's also worked in the financial regulation research at ASIC and at APRA. He's also been the principal researcher. Uh, more recently, has focused his attention on the COVID-19 ep- epidemiology, uh, providing expert advice to a law firm and that uh, legal challenges that have subsequently ensued. He's a terrific fella, and uh, we've got him there right now. Dr. Wilson Sai, g'day, how are you going? No, he's not. We're not ready yet. We're going to get him in just a second. But he's found some terrific things. I mean, I've had had a look at the uh, the document, and basically, COVID nineteen. It turns out that it may not have originated from SARS COVID two, but of course, from the drugs that we use, such as midazolam, used to uh, potentially euthanize all the people that uh, they needed that particular um, substance. And I would tend to agree with him. It's a little bit like, well, I'm going to ask him if it's anything like remdesivir and what we had to go through here in Australia. I would suggest it's something similar. Uh, Dr. Wilson Sai, how are you going? Oh, good. Thank you. I thank you for coming on. Um, I've got to ask you that question before we, we get into uh, this particular um, thing that you were talking about. Here we had remdesivir and the, the overuse of that. Uh, nurses calling it run, death is near. Um, you suggested, and I, I tend to agree, that the overuse of midazolam was used to basically euthanize a whole bunch of people. The numbers that they got that they had us believe were deaths, deaths relating to COVID itself tended to be from the way that these people were treated. Was that very much like remdesivir as well? Well, I uh, I can't say I have much uh, expertise in, in the details of these uh, sedatives. Uh, what what I do know is, uh, is from researching the various um, health authorities, uh, the, the reason why, you know, uh, I noticed uh, midazolam in the UK is largely due to the data that, that I have obtained. Um, there is a, uh, a website which publishes all the uh, pharmaceuticals that's been used over time. And this data uh, just shows remarkable similarity in the number of doses they use in midazolam in UK at that time. Well, in fact, throughout the pandemic and the excess death I happened to be studying. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of puzzles, if you like, a lot of data that don't seem to make much sense in terms of adding up the number of um, COVID cases. Early in 2020, there was actually very few COVID cases in the UK. Uh, funnily enough, but yet there's a, there was a large number of COVID deaths attributed. So it didn't this didn't make sense at all, right? So, so when I dig into the midazolam data, I found that, sure enough, uh, the the the, the uh, reported COVID death matches over ninety percent in correlation with the usage of midazolam. 
So the question is, why is there such a high correlation between the use of midazolam and COVID deaths? Right. So my conclusion from from just looking at the all the other data is that the COVID COVID deaths were just called COVID deaths. They weren't they weren't COVID deaths at all. Because if you remember in March 2020, the US, US Health Emergency Agency, there is a uh, government agency, which announced that there was no high consequence infectious disease right, uh, present in the UK. So this is a quite a authoritative uh, declaration. Now it's according to them there was no no pandemic and yet that that declaration or you know was not widely uh broadcasted right and uh and that tie that tallies with the other data about COVID cases and uh, and so and so my conclusion was that the pandemic was largely initiated by large use of midazolam and this this happened to um, agree with anecdotal evidence by the funeral director john looney i don't know whether you heard of yeah I've, I've, I've interviewed him yeah yes well he was he was the earliest to, to sound the alarm bell because he was seeing all these cases coming through and he he clearly mentioned midazolam so 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 what I'm saying is not entirely new in the sense that a lot of people are aware of this already. But what, what I've done is to actually uh, connect all the official data and all the all available data and put in a total story, right? In other words, what people say matches all the uh, exact quantitative statistical data. So there is no doubt uh, in my mind, right, from, from the paper I've written, that there is a systemic policy of euthanasia in, in, uh, in the UK. And, and that is true even now. It's it, really frightening what you say. I remember him uh, telling us and saying that he'd never seen people dying in such numbers. They were used to in the funeral director industry to have a almost like a, a routine amount of people that would come out of the nursing homes and whatnot. And it was such a disproportionate, it was such an anomaly that he couldn't help but notice it. And when your data with the use and the introduction of that particular drug comes in at a 90% plus correlation, it's, it's too big to ignore. I mean, it really, all the roads lead to what you're saying. Yeah, well, not only that, uh, I, I, the, the, uh, I also check, right, how this uh, correlation occurs, not just in, in that period, but all, in all the seven or eight regions in England. So there's northwest, northeast, southwest, London, south, uh, Midlands. Uh, all those area had uh, individual uh, usage of midazolam, and also they had excess deaths. The ONS published uh, uh, mortality data for each of those regions. So my research looked at every one of those regions individually right 
and they all have the same uh, uh, correlation, high correlation. And, and not only that, there seems to be a, a fairly uniform distribution of midazolam and excess death. In other words, there wasn't one region that had all the uh, excess death or whatever. It spread all over England, right? So what that suggests is, is, is not just a coincidence. It seems more like a, a policy. You know, in other words, the, the, the uh, availability of, of midazolam, let's say, seems to have been more or less uh, distributed uh, according to, to some sort of agree formula or whatever it is. So, so, the, so the correlation is, is uh, unif almost uniform across all regions of England. And very interesting, a lot of the things that you say, Wilson. Uh, I mean, one of those being that, you know, in the be beginning, there was really no pandemic to speak of. You can't uh, incentivize people to go and uh, get a jab if you don't see anyone dying, of course. Yeah. And then they're advocating that people take this drug that I'm guessing, and I will, we will get to it on the other side of the news headlines, I'm going to guess, and we'll let the people wait until after the news before you answer, um, probably wasn't used anywhere near as much prior to 2020. But we do need to get to the news headlines. A bunch of questions to us. We're with Dr. Wilson Sai, everybody. Stick around. Lots of questions and a bunch of answers to come straight after this. This is TNT. Hey, guys, great news. News Radio. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Britain has effectively called on the West to prepare for World War III. The UK Defence Minister warning this week battle lines are being redrawn as the world enters a pre-war phase. North Korea claims to have tested a new underwater nuclear weapons system and a long-awaited report into the police response to the 2022 school shooting in Texas has been released and the details are damning. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda, it never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio, free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk, this is TNT Radio. And we are back with Dr. Wilson Sai. I read out his more than impressive bio uh, just before we got him on the program. Also uh, mentioned that he has been providing expert advice to uh, legal challenges over vaccine mandates. So a true champion of the people and noticing the things that we need to notice. And again, I, I, as um, Dr. Wilson Sai suggested, there was no pandemic to speak of. We didn't have people dying in those numbers. They, of course, uh, reclassified what a pandemic was back in 2009 it wouldn't have gone close otherwise. Um, but, mate, I've got to ask, uh, Dr. Wilson Sai, midazolam, mate, how much was it being used prior to 2020? Uh, it was uh, also used prior to 2020, uh, but the correlation is nowhere near as good and uh, and the, uh, the, the amount used is, of course, significantly less. And... Uh, yeah, I mean the paper, the paper that I've written uh, describes this in detail in terms of the actual numbers of uh, doses uh, used. So yeah, uh, also 
you must remember that it was reported even among the uh, the newspapers that the uh, that there was uh, uh, Matt Hancock uh, actually ordered a large supply of um, the Dazdalab and and they even actually asked the the French health authorities to provide some of it so uh, so yeah I mean it's I think it's quite well known that there was a a, a, a deliberate uh, attempt to get large supplies of midazolam. Well, you've answered one of my questions. The other question being, um, how significantly did they increase the dosages, you know, coming up during the COVID era, if you will? Yeah, uh, well, the data tells shows, shows a, a significant uh, increase, particularly in in uh, 2020. Uh, there, was, there was two big spikes in the use of midazolam. You know, the first one was March, April, 2020. And then the second one was when they first, um, when they first did the mass, max, uh, mass vaccination in early 2021, right? And uh, that, that had another spike in, in uh, midazolam use. And strange, <laughs> strangely in love, the, the, they had to, well, I don't know, I'm, 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 I should not try to impute any any motives, but what 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 I see is that the surge in use of midazolam in early 2021, right, was also accompanied by a surge in in COVID deaths, right. But the strange thing about this particular surge in COVID deaths is that it was it did not correspond to a rise in excess deaths. In other words, a corresponding rise in excess death. In fact, the excess death in early 21 was less than the COVID deaths. Wow. Which is very strange, which means that there was a plunge in non-COVID deaths for the numbers to match. It, it, <laughs> you understand what I'm it's saying? It's amazing, isn't it? And, wow. And, and yeah. so it is as though the, the surge in early 21, the excess death, was very strong uh in incentivization for people to get the jab when they first roll out because you can see whoa this is a huge rise in covert deaths right just yeah. as they were rolling out the, the and, and it really it really tied in with their narrative because here we were all these old people started dying and then it was you know you you, you may you may be a child you may be young you may be healthy it may not kill you but you'll need to go get this jab to protect granny and grandpa and yeah. that's really how they got the whole ball, the snowball that it became rolling down the hill, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it, it, it looks very much like it. I mean, yeah. yeah it's frightening. It really is quite insidious when you think about um, if, if that is the case. And as you said, it does. It really does look like it. Um, and to think that there are people possibly sitting there and uh, putting all this step by step into action, it really does make you think uh, about how the world really works. But if it wasn't for people like you, Dr. Wilson Side, mate, we would have no clue. It would be a bunch of us making assumptions. You're a guy with the qualifications. You're the guy who does the numbers, establishes the baseline, does the comparisons and comes up with that. So we can make a decision whether we think you're right or not. And I'll tell you what, I absolutely think you're spot on. And it's the most accurate um, uh, assessment or theory that I've come across that fits not just the narrative, but the numbers as well. And uh, Dr. Wilson, so I applaud you for being who you are, for doing what you do, and for being courageous enough to come out and say it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Also, I may add, what's happening now is not entirely new. In fact, uh, what I found fascinating in doing this research was that it happened about 150 years ago with this smallpox vaccination in in, uh, in England, and and I read with great interest uh, the the uh, the report by uh, uh, William Al, uh, Russell Wallace. He was a friend and com- contemporary of uh, Charles Darwin, a very very famous scientist himself, right? And he wrote this book called Vaccination at Delusion. Now, what what he found was that a lot of the data that the government publishes about vac- vac- vaccination status and death and so on were completely wrong, right? <laughs> and and what he did was to uh, uh, do what I'm doing, in fact, which is to look at the broad data and draw his conclusions, right? And again, he found this anomaly between the reported uh, smallpox deaths and and uh, and the various vaccination status, the the data seems to show that 150 years ago, if you're unvaccinated, then you are in much greater danger of uh, of smallpox death, right? But of course, he discovered that that all this data was was wrong, right? Yeah, <laughs> right, and 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 through his through looking at the data, approaching the problems in a different way, like in a sense, like what I'm doing, I'm just, I'm just in a sense following Wallace method. You can see that these make sense. I mean, the broad, uh, the broad uh, data um, gives you the, the 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 truth. Whereas if you just follow the government's uh, data, uh, uh, like comparing vaccinated and unvaccinated, you get misled. Yeah, and let's face it, people lie, governments lie, the media lies, but numbers, if those numbers are correct, never, ever lie. And I remember watching a graph of, you know, before anybody was immunised in this country and the numbers, because of our lifestyles and the way that we lived, the numbers were coming way, way down and the baseline was just really low. And then not only after they introduced vaccinations did the numbers not go down, there was an actual a bit of a spike, and then that curve just continued on that line that had been coming down for decades. I'd love to have a conversation with you sometime about just about vaccinations in general. And it's interesting when you have a look at the populations like the Amish over in the States, and uh, they don't get vaccinated, and they seem to do very, very well medically, low autism rates, all of that. And again, I, I like numbers, I like graphs, and uh, they speak very loud and very clear, and they send a very good message, as do you, Dr. Wilson. So we're out of time. I'd love you to come back on and we could chat about that at some point. But mate, thank you for doing what you're doing and thanks for coming on the program today. He's my, my pleasure. Thank you. He's, he's terrific, everybody. Give him a follow on social media. And of course, if you're somebody who uh, was under the mandate, somebody who uh, is uh, hard done by, of course, you can get in contact with him because there are a bunch of legal cases probably uh, underway where, and he's the man that can help you to fight those cases, I guarantee. Dr. David McBride, we're going to be talking about legal cases right after this break here at TNT. While serving in Afghanistan, I was hit by sniper fire. The fighting was so intense, the medevac chopper was barely able to land. In the hospital, I was given a 5% chance to live. It's a good thing math wasn't my best subject. Today, I visit classrooms and share my story. I talk to kids about dealing with life's struggles. I tell them 
with a little help and a lot of work that you can overcome any challenge. DAV helps veterans like Adam get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. I know that some struggles are big and some are small, but they're all struggles and you have to learn to get through them. With support from DAV, more veterans like me can live their best life. And as a new father, I have one more reason to keep on keeping on. My victory is being there for the next generation. Adam Alexander, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Sometimes life can be overwhelming and suicide may seem like the only way to relieve the pain. Beyond Now is an evidence-based app created by Beyond Blue to help you cope when suicidal thoughts start to appear. You can use it to create an easy-to-follow plan that is personal to you and includes steps like know your warning signs so you can act early, make your environment safe by removing harmful items, activities you can do or people you can be with to distract yourself from suicidal thoughts, reminders of things that make you feel strong, some of these steps might be tough to fill out, and that's okay. It can be helpful to make or share your safety plan with a trusted friend, family member, or mental health professional. You might feel like you're alone, but help is available. If you're worried you can't stay safe, use the red telephone icon to call your emergency contacts. Download the free Beyond Now app today to create your personal safety plan. Dean Mackin on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program, not to say fellow commentator, but uh, an, an Aussie champion, a man whose family name evokes emotions of pride. He comes from a a, a very proud heritage. Uh, you would all be familiar with his father, but we're going to talk about David McBride today. And again, an Australian whistleblower, if you will. And I'll, I'll read the full bio, just so you know, for those of you who don't know his history in 2000. Okay, so he's an Australian whistleblower in 2011 and 2017, uh, 13, I should say. He served in Afghanistan as a military lawyer to the Royal Australian Regiment of and Australian Special Forces, respectively. David made information on war crimes and committed by Australian soldiers in Afghanistan available to the ABC. Now, if convicted of the charges against him, David McBride faces many years in prison. Sentencing is now coming up, and I'm hoping that it's going to be relatively super duper light, and we'll find out his thoughts on it. David McBride, how are you? I'm very well. I'm happy to be back on your show. It always uh, lifts my spirits to be uh, to have supporters like you, friends like you, really, and and your audience. Um, January's a great time, a great time to recharge. I was very tired, and I, and I spent a lot of time with my family and and sleeping and trying to get fit again. Um, but also, when you've been busy, you get a little bit down, and you're kind of like, "Oh, what's next? What's next?" and um, Yes, now sentencing is coming up and I'm starting to think about that. Uh, when I speak to people like you, I feel I feel 10 feet tall, you know. Um, I uh, The judge dropped a hint um, at, the end, at the end of the trial and he said, I want him and many me assessed for um, uh, what they call intensive corrective order, which is... Um, well, you don't actually go within the four walls of a prison, but it's everything. But you report to the police station every day. I imagine I'll have an ankle bracelet or something, but I haven't got that yet. I'm still, um, if he uh, if he gets 
upset or uh, something happens, I could actually be within the, technically I could be within the walls of a prison for the rest of my life. The maximum is unlimited. And um, so uh, he'll have to work his way down from that. But I guess uh, home detention is, is, is a possibility. That's still confronting. I'll have to move to Canberra away from my children who are still teenagers and still need my um, support. Uh, I don't know whether there'll be any gag order in place. Hopefully I can keep doing TNT. Um, it's been a life uh, a lifesaver for me, having people like yourselves uh, and your listeners, uh, just being able to uh, have a voice. And, and, and you don't need majority support, but just the good people of this country who say, good on you, mate, um, uh, well done. I mean, that just makes you feel great. Um, and you and you want to go on. I'm very excited about what we can do together in TNT this year. Um, now that it's video, and uh, uh, it's funny how how you manifest the things that you really need. A couple of years ago, I thought, wouldn't it be great if we had a really independent station where you could, where there was no censorship, and you 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 didn't have to play uh, corporate uh, politics every time you opened your mouth or sell washing powder or whatever. Um, and now the people like you have made that a reality, and um, I'm proud to be uh, to be part of it. And so you should be. I mean, there's people such as yourself, uh, you know, uh, Julian Assange, and a bunch of other people who I know who have been hard done by. Why? Because they advocated for the truth. They did the right thing in this country. It seems to be that if you do that, you know, you come under attack. Uh, I noticed that, uh, you know, Richard Miles, you know, there was that hit piece, as I would put it, um, on you, very timely, coming out in September. Uh, I know you weren't too too happy about that, but uh, mate, there are no coincidences when it comes to the way things like this are dealt with, is there? No, and that's one of the, the advantages and disadvantages of being in my position as a legal officer uh, in special forces and in um, with the highest possible security clearance is that I know what they really get up to. And I know that the Defence Force has uh, employees, they wouldn't get their hands dirty, but they have um, media consultants who have bots and you sometimes see comments on, on Twitter or even letters to the newspaper or, or whatever that look like uh, Mr and Mrs Miggins uh, from Padstow, but they're not. <laughs> it's someone from defence. Anytime you see someone saying, oh, I like uh, General Angus Campbell, I think. <laughs> or I once saw one, it was it, the, the Telegraph did some sort of a uh, a hit piece on uh, the rules of engagement, and I saw some, some, uh, uh, some comments saying, and they were quite technical, and rules of engagement are quite complex, and not everybody knows them. And the, the people pretending to be the bloke next door say, oh, no, <laughs> I think that law on bombing bridges is up. It was something about the Defence Force in their political correctness. You'll laugh at this. They said <laughs> they said something about you had to take gender issues into uh, into consideration before you, <laughs> before you bombed the bridge. And I and and to, to the defense was great, but I think the and the people that wrote it had quite a lot of te technical expertise. This is one case where it wasn't so bad, and they, and they weren't people next door, but they were obviously uh, uh, you know media consultants, uh, you know bots or whatever defending the defense force. But um, uh, it was um, 
Yeah, they do. They do. And funnily enough, the guy that did that hit piece is one of the things he's done for the Defence Force, and it was pretty easy to find out, was a paper called How to Maximise Your Influence on Social Media. So that was his, like, specialty, you know. You know, before you even said that, I bet he was writing up some sort of PSYOP-type thing, you know. There it was. I mean, and the thing that you did and and what you brought out, I love. I'll tell you why, because um, Friendly Geordies actually made me aware of some characters, you know, in, in the military. Some people, you know, the bulk of them are terrific people out there doing the right thing, defending the country and doing what is asked of them. Some of these people are out there like they're on some kind of African lion safari, you know, taking out people willy-nilly advocating that you plant weapons on them or, or two-way radios and things. And we need to know about people like that because if, if you've got that element out there in the military doing nasty things, it's going to make the good guys a bigger target to, to, the, to those people that they're harming. I mean, I would suggest that you're saving lives of Australian soldiers, oh, absolutely, yeah. And one of some of my haters after uh, after I was convicted, some of my haters, and some of these are aligned in the media, and some of them are, are fringe military people, and they were like, "Oh, David McBride's a bad guy because he was sometimes he was advocating for the SAS." And I say, bring it on. Absolutely, that was right. If people, if soldiers did the right thing, of course I'm going to advocate for them. I'm not going to let good people get get railroaded uh, to help bad people. But it's funny how so they, they actually thought that that was somehow wrong. But you're right. All Everything I did was because there are a lot of very good people, a lot of people that did the right thing, and they don't deserve um, to be, to be uh, trashed with the bad people. And the way we sort those things out is not whether they're good-looking or whatever, but have they complied with the law? And if they have... Uh, your buddy will go in and defend them, and you're right. That was a bit of a poor piece. I met that. I met that guy, and he's not a bad guy. But if you but if you post things on uh, online saying just shoot someone dead and plant something on their body, I mean, what do you what do you expect is going to happen? You might say, "Oh, it was just a joke" or whatever. <laughs> yeah, people like me are going to jail. Um, so if you're going to do that kind of stuff. Um, don't, you shouldn't be surprised that people like Friendly Geordies, who's been great and he's pretty fearless. We know he's taken on the um, Almadine. So, uh, you know, but it, it, it's great that, um, yeah, it, it's great that we call out the truth. And that's why TNT's got a great advantage because you tend to get the mainstream media where they, they, they can only talk in absolutes. All the SAS are bad, all the SAS are good. Um, and both of those things are wrong. And, yeah, we need the SAS. If you and I ever get, um, you know, captured by terrorists and, and held to ransom, I can tell you who it's It's not going to be General Campbell or anyone, you know, the pen pushers are going to come through the door. It's going to be the special forces that come and rescue us, and we need them, and they're pretty damn good at what they do. Saying that, if you've got people who are just psychopaths and are totally um, – you know, have lost the plot, they need to be called out. And it's not because of their cap badge. Uh, it's because of the individual acts that they do. And while that's not easy to get across on a mainstream story where it has to all be one or the other, um, you can be done. I mean, yeah, and that's one of the, again, I love TNT. You can be nuanced. Some people hate me because I'm not, I'm not tough enough. I don't think everyone in the SAS is bad. Some people hate me because I think some of them were bad. You know, you've got to have 
But that I just call it like I saw it. I did have access to a lot of information, and um, uh, I don't apologise for that. And um, uh, again, it's it's great with all the interviews that things that I very rarely get to talk. Uh, those hard truths to someone who gets it, like you and your audience. And so it's always a pleasure to come on your show. Well, mate, those people um, who are against you, I mean, they need to just for one second. And I, I do it for every everything that I speak about for or against. I put myself in the other person's shoes and say, what if? Because until you've done that, you really have no understanding of a situation of the mind process of the, and and for you to have been aware of this stuff, to be an intelligent person, a super intelligent person as you are, you would know full well that you taking that chance was a massive risk, was a personal risk, was going to put your career at risk, was going to put everything that you believe in at risk. And still you did it. And the anyone who is a thinking person, the only thing you can take away from that is you did it purely on conscience, on the fact that you felt compelled to do so because it was right. There is no other reason. There was no other incentive to do so. That's why when whistleblowers come out, um, I always put myself in their position and go, wow, I mean, what an incredible act of bravery that was and always for the correct uh, reason. And uh, again, you advocated for him and so will I. Uh, friendly Geordies, even though I think he's a, a, a bit of a lefty, um, I don't mind him. He's got a lot of guts. And I remember a couple of stories that he did when he did them. I, I thought, wow. You don't. You've got no idea what a target you just painted on on your forehead. But he probably did know, and still he went ahead and did it. And you know, kudos to anybody who takes on the Australian government, who takes on Middle Eastern crime gangs. I mean, you you, you know, and and still goes ahead and does it because they're doing it for the belief belief that they're doing the right thing. And I advocate for anybody who does that forever, mate. And you, that's why you're a champion. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he does, he, he, and he would have had the same thought process. Not so much how dangerous is this, but what's the right thing to do? And I, and I was in the same boat. I mean, I had, <laughs> my critics, they forget because I'm, I'm relatively, I built quite a good profile now and they sometimes people think I'm a tall poppy, but I built it through hard work and through, you know, doing a lot of interviews and having a YouTube channel and doing TNT. And um, uh, I'm now facing prison. And so it's not as if I'm like a millionaire living in the south of France on stolen money um i am facing prison proudly but i haven't made anything out of it so that i asked my critics to think about that i someone that had three law degrees as you said um one from one of the most famous universities in the world i'd uh, i'd been in the british army as well as the australian army um and for me to think something was very wrong so much that i would put my whole career on the line there's a pretty good chance it was. It may not be easy to understand in a soundbite, but um, I believe that it, it was so serious that we're not even, the country is not defended because the Australian military at the highest levels now cares more about uh, good news, fluffy good news it, stories image, than yeah. it does about actually protecting the country, and that's a problem. Dave, uh, David, that, we're, we're running out of time. I've got to ask, what is the, the date of the sentencing? 12th of March. Mate, um, we're running out of time. We've only got about 30 seconds. Uh, all I can do is, mate, I will literally pray for a terrific outcome for you, you know, the, the mildest of outcomes. I hope that is the case, mate. Whatever it is, I know you're going to wear it as a, a badge of honour because you did the right thing. Mate, I just hope that that uh, 
they take that into account. You've got some young kids to look after. I think you're a champion. I would suggest the bulk of the people listening right now do. And, mate, all I, I can do is hope that it turns out great and you and I will talk again real soon. And hopefully, uh, even if you are wearing an ankle bracelet, let me, we'll have a good old chat. Yeah, and thanks for the prayer. Prayer does work. Prayer works for me and anyone else that can pray, I'd be very grateful. Thank you. And everybody, if you know, get on there, give him a shout out, show him your support. It really does help. And he's a terrific guy too. Uh, thank you, David McBride. Coming up, we've got Sonia Poulton here at TNT. I'll catch you all tomorrow.